We're now in class number 14. We're going, our class is about the history of the church. And I was saying, church is 2,000 years old. So we can only hope to give an overview of the history of the church because it is very long. Uh, we start with this um, slide. It's from St. Matthew chapter 28. And from and we read there, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. And this is um, the words of our Lord as recorded by St. Matthew. And we see here that this is really what the church has done. They have tried to make disciples of all nations and have baptized them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church has also been very diligent in teaching us everything that our Lord has commanded. And also, we see that our Lord is always with us. He made sure that we will always be accompanied until the close of the age. Or Sunday, we're approaching Pentecost Sunday, and that is when the Holy Spirit descends upon the church. Our Lord Jesus Christ has sent forth, sent forth the Holy Spirit to be with us until the close of the age. We see clearly divine and human aspects of history closely intertwined throughout the history of the church. Um, there are um, striking aspects of the church history even for non-believers. And what are these aspects that we see? One, we see the unity of the church in time and space. We see the Catholicity of the church, universality of the church. So the church has continued throughout the centuries to be the same reality, with the same doctrine and same fundamental elements, which is unity of faith, unity of sacraments and of hierarchy through the apostolic succession. And furthermore, throughout the centuries, it has gathered together men and women of the most varied races and cultures cultures all over the world. So with the um, faces that we see in the church today, we... We see how seriously the church has taken the commandment of our Lord to go and make disciples of all nations. And then the second aspect, um, the missionary activity of the church in all times and places, which has taken advantage of even the most adverse events in history to preach the gospel. So the church has always been missionary, always um, on the lookout in order to 
introduce our Lord to people who have not heard of him through the past 2,000 years, even in the most adverse um, events in history. Right now, as Filipinos, I have heard some say that our Lord has used the Filipino diaspora throughout the world in order to spread the faith. Our domestic helpers, our nurses, our OFWs have brought the faith to them and have reintegrated the faith in the places where they are. Uh, the power of the church produce fruits of sanctity in people of all races and conditions in every generation. So from Saint Edith, Saint Francis to Saint Bede, to whom um, really in every in every generation we see fruits of sanctity. In our generation, we see who we saw um, Saint Teresa of Calcutta, uh, Pope John Paul II, um, Saint Escriba, founder of Opus Dei also brought up to the altars a striking ability of the church to recuperate after suffering crisis sometimes even very grave ones so the church is always able to recover and be better um, after surviving very grave crisis throughout human history for us, time started 0 AD in the year of our Lord, AD, no? So early Christianity, birth of Christ till the fall of the Roman Empire, which was around um, year 400. Um, and then we have the Middle Ages, year 476 onwards until the arrival of Columbus in America. And then we go to the modern age, uh, which started during the French Revolution, 1492 onwards. And then here we have the contemporary age. In the first AD, Christianity spread under the guidance of St. Peter and the apostles. And then afterwards, it continued to spread with their successors, the successors of the apostles. The numbers of Christ followers steadily increased above, above all within the confines of the Roman Empire. So in year number four, Christians were about 15% of the population of the Roman Empire. We see this religion spread to Armenia, Arabia, Ethiopia, Persia, and India, which are outside um, the Roman Empire's boundaries. Political, Roman political power saw Christianity as a threat to its authority because it claimed a sphere, a sphere of freedom of conscience vis-a-vis -vis the state. Christians, the followers of Christ, had to endure repeated persecutions that brought many of them to martyrdom. So I suppose many of us, or if not all of us, have seen the Colosseum in Rome. And that is where 
A lot of Christians were martyred. They were fed to the lions because they refused to, to renounce their religious belief in Jesus Christ. In the fourth century, the church, um, where, I mean, suffered a crisis, a serious one in the form of Arianism. So Arius was a priest from Egypt who held the opinion that denied the divinity of the Son as well as the deity of the Holy Spirit. He viewed the second person as the first among all creatures and who was even superior to all the other creatures. But Jesus Christ, Son of God, was not divine. And that was what he believed. It was a 60-year crisis and it had to take two ecumenical councils, the Council of Nicaea in 325 and the Council of Constantinople 381 before they were able to <clears throat> um, overcome the crisis of Arianism. Arianism was condemned and the divinity of the Son was solely proclaimed as well as that of the Holy Spirit. The true faith was set forth in the Nicene Constantinopolitan symbol of creed. Or now we say the Nicene creed. I wonder if you have heard it. Maybe you have. I, you just don't know that the, the name is the Nicene creed. It is the longer form of the I believe in God. It is usually recited during um, solemn occasions like Christmas or like uh, Easter Sunday. Part of the Nicene Creed goes, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. And then, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. So there they set out very clearly that the Son is the Father, the Holy Spirit is the Father, and the Son. So they all have the same substance. They are all divine. Oh, here, I was able to get a picture of the Nicene Creed. Uh, the image shows um, the Emperor Constantine, there in the middle, the one with the crown, surrounded uh, and beside him on his left and right side are the bishops during the council. Including uh, there, the Nicene Creed, you know, the professional faith, which um, very clearly states that our Lord Jesus Christ is true God. In the 5th century, we have another crisis, and that's and, uh, which we call Nestorianism. It is that um, two Christological heresies had a positive effect of obliging the church to consider more thoroughly 
the dogma of the incarnation and to formulate it with greater precision. Nestorianism claimed that there were two persons in Christ along with the two natures. So there is a human Christ and a divine Christ. Human Jesus Christ and a divine Jesus Christ. Each person with each uh, with its specific nature. In the Council of Ephesus, they affirm the oneness of the person of Jesus Christ. There were churches which separated from the early church. Churches of Syria and Malabar, which up to this day are separated from the church. We have the other issue of monophysitism, monophysitism, which held in practice that only one nature existed in Christ, the divine one. So there is only one uh, person, the divine person. It's saying that Christ, who is Son of God, we're saying, be human. He cannot have a human person. So the Council of uh, Chalcedon, Chalcedon affirmed two natures of Christ, one divine and the other human, united in the person of the word without confusion or change and without division or separation. So those who do not, uh, well, do not believe in the pronouncement of the council um, separated from the church. And these were the Coptics, Western Syria, Armenia, and the Ethiopian churches. The most important figures during the early, early Christianity in the West were Irenaeus of Lyon, Saint Hilary, Saint Hilary, Saint Ambrose of Milan, Saint Jerome, and Saint Augustine. So these are familiar saints to us. In the East, we have Saint Athanasius, Saint Basil. And then St. Gregory of Nyssa, St. Cyril of Alexandria. So in the year 476, the Holy Roman Empire, that whole empire, fell, invaded by Germanic, Aryans, and other pagans. In year 476, the Germans were the cause of war in World War I. World War II, and now also pala in uh, four year 476, they were the cause of the, the fall of the Roman Empire. However, despite this fall, the church worked to evangelize the invaders and Scandinavians and the Magyars. You know the Slavs? Um, John Paul II was a Slav the Polish people, and then Magyars. I checked, Magyar is Hungary now. So even if the Roman Empire fell, 
um, the church stayed true to the admonition of our Lord to baptize all people and spread his gospel. They evangelized their invaders and even more, um, more people from other countries. So the Middle Ages was a very difficult period for Europe. A lot of political, social upheaval, and there was cultural impoverishment and economic regression due to barbarian invasions. They were very busy defending themselves. But in the 7th century, uh, Benedictine monasticism came about which provided peace, tranquility, and culture in the area surrounding the monasteries. However, at the end of the, after Muhammad's death, the Arabs set, for, set out on a wave of warfare and conquest that led to a vast empire. Among those subjugated were the Christian peoples of North Africa and the Iberian Peninsula. Iberian Peninsula includes, the Sp includes Spain. They were under Muslim rule for 300 years. This brought about the separation of the Byzantine world from the Latin Germanic world. For approximately 300 years, the state of affairs was scourged for the Mediterranean people of Europe, who were victims of the incursions, raids, plundering, and deportations that went on systematically and unabatedly. Over time, the popes realized that a limited temporal power was an effective guarantee of independence with respect to the various political powers of the time. It gave, it gave them a bit of independence from the emperors, kings, and feudal lords. And that is why they encouraged, you know, or they were very zealous about being able to establish the papal states. Holy Roman Empire was established in the year 800 with the Pope crowning Charlemagne at St. Peter's Basilica. So a Catholic state thereby came into being with universal aspirations characterized strong political power intertwining politics and religion. And this lasted until the year 1806. So in the 10th century, the papacy suffered a grave crisis resulting from noble families of Italy interfering in the election of the Pope. And on a more widespread scale, kings and feudal lords claimed authority to name the occupants of many ecclesiastical offices. Well, in the year 1054, the Patriarch of Constantinople 
brought about the final separation of the Greeks from the Catholic Church. And this is what we call the Eastern Schism. During this time also, Italian maritime republics wrested control of the Mediterranean from Muslims. This is when crusades to the Holy Land started. Crusades of Christians from Europe traveling all the way to the Middle East in order with the aim to recover and defend Jerusalem. These are the saints during the Middle Ages. St. Albert, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Bonaventure. Also during this time, we see the rise of the mendicant orders. We see the rise of the Franciscans and Dominicans. When we say mendicant orders, what do we mean? Mendicant means to beg for their, for their sustenance. There was a time during the Middle Ages when we had, the church had three popes and the papal residency transferred from Rome to Avignon in France. And that is why there was a period in the church's history when we had two and even three popes at the same time. During the Council of Constance in year 1415, unity was restored with the election of one pope during that council. And then also during this time, Ottoman Turks, no? Muslims, conquered Constantinople, ending the 1,000-year history of the Roman Empire of the East. Now we go to the modern age of modern age so from the early hmm, years of christianity we went to the middle ages now we are at the modern age the modern age uh, opens with the arrival of christopher columbus in america an event which along with the explorations in africa and Asia began the European colonization of other regions in the world. So the church took advantage of this historical event to spread the gospel in continents outside Europe. So missions arose in the French colonies of Canada, Louisiana, in North America, and in Spanish America, and in Portuguese Brazil, missions to Congo, India, Indochina, China, Japan, and the Philippines also. So to coordinate all these endeavors for spreading the faith, the Holy See in 1622 instituted Sacred Congregation for the Propagation of the Faith. Today, the head of the Sacred Congregation for the Propagation of the Faith is Cardinal Luis Table. Our, our Archbishop of Manila, before he was appointed to, to lead and head this congregation in, in, of the church last year. 
the church entered a very grave crisis of the Reformation initiated by Martin Luther, John Calvin, Ulrich Swindley, and so they all were founders of different denominations of Protestantism. So this resulted in the separation from the church of a large part of the world. Um, Scandinavia, Estonia, Lithuania, parts of Germany, Holland, parts of Switzerland, Scotland, England, and all the respected colonies already possessed or subsequently conquered, like Australia, Canada, North America, the Antilles, South Africa, and New Zealand. So we lost all of these countries to the Reformation. The Protestant Reformation had the damaging effect of breaking up the long-standing religious unity in the Western Christian world. And it brought about the social, political, and cultural division of Europe and some of its dependent regions into two camps, the Catholic and Protestant. Renaissance values of humanism and secularism led people to question the church and the invention of the printing press helped to spread the ideas critical of the church. And then political, powerful monarchs challenged the church as the supreme power in Europe. European princes and kings were jealous of the wealth of the church. And then merchants and others resented having to pay taxes to the church, religious reasons. Some church leaders had become worldly and corrupt. And then many people found church practices, such as the sale of indulgences, unacceptable. This is one of the demands of Martin Luther. During the modern age, the what century? 17th century, the subject of each region or of each country were obliged to follow the religion of respective rulers. So confrontation between these two worlds led to the wars of religion, which especially affected France, the German territories, England, Scotland, and Ireland. Christians or Catholics in the United Kingdom had to become Anglicans when Henry VIII um, broke off from, from Catholicism because he wanted to marry again. And then France, Catholic France, the, the kings and queen of France were Catholic. Uh, this one, many, there were many French Catholics and many French saints. So although deeply wounded, cannot deny that the church was deeply wounded by the defection of so many people in so few decades. 
the Catholic Church was able to draw upon unsuspected interior reserves to react and begin carrying out an authentic reform. So this historical process of re reform came to be known as the Council of Trent. Here, some dogmatic truths were clearly proclaimed that had been placed in doubt by the Protestants, such as the uh, canon of scripture, the sacraments, and then original sin. So disciplinary measures was strengthened and consolidated with the establishment of seminaries and the obligation of residency in the diocese for bishops. So we see in these events that God brought forth good from bad. From the Reformation, he was able to bring forth a counter-reformation which brought about a better church. So the efforts of the counter-reformation were assisted by many religious orders in the 16th century. We have the initiatives of re reform by the mendicant Capuchins and the discalced Carmelites the Jesuits, Theatines, and Barnab Barnabites, they all helped in the reforms of the church. So the church emerged from this severe crisis deeply renewed and strengthened and was able to make up for the loss of some European regions with a truly universal growth thanks to the work in the missions. Also during the modern age, the church had to fight ecclesiastical jurisdiction, striving to create a church submissive to the power of the king. So supported by a modern bureaucracy, the European kings established a system of total autocratic power eliminating the barriers that had formerly been present, namely the institutions of medieval origins, ecclesiastical privilege, and the rights of cities. So it reached its senate with the expulsion of the Jesuits by many governments in the year 1773. And the hostile pressure exerted on the papacy to suppress the Jesuit order. And then the other enemy of the church was the Enlightenment, what we call the Enlightenment. It was a movement that was above all philosophical, but was very, and which was very popular among the ruling class. Underlying it was a cultural current that exalted reason and nature and fostered an indiscriminate criticism of tradition. It spawned many modern ideologies, 
that restrict the vision of reality by eliminating supernatural revelation the spirit and the spirituality of man and ultimately any aspiration to seek the truth about the human person and God and God. So during this period also we see the the rise of the first Masonic lodges who had a tone or which had a tone and agenda that were often clearly anti-Catholic. So now we go to the contemporary era. So the contemporary age started during the French Revolution. During the French Revolution, the cry of the revolutionaries was liberty, equality, and fraternity. And it took on a clearly anti-Christian agenda and in the end, a cruel persecution of the church. So much so that Pope Pius VI died in 1799 while a prisoner of the French revolutionaries. And then we see during this period the rise to power of Napoleon Bonaparte, who was always very pragmatic. And therefore, he thought that it was better to bring about religious peace with, uh, with the Catholics. And he did that with the signing of the Concordat in 1801. But later on, with Pius VII, disagreements arose due to the constant intrusion by the French government in the church's life. As a result, the Pope was taken prisoner by Bonaparte for the next five years. So within the restoration of the pre-revolutionary monarchies in 1815, a period of peace and tranquility returned for the church. But soon, a new ideology arose that was deeply opposed to Catholicism. And this is what we call liberalism, which is a political force promoting legislation that discriminated against and persecuted the church. So liberalism allied itself with nationalism in many countries and later in the second half of the century with imperialism and positivism. So all of these forces eventually contributed to the Christianizing society. So as a reaction to the social injustices caused by the liberal legislation policies, new ideologies sprang up seeking to give voice to the aspirations of the classes oppressed by the new economic system. So this gave rise to utopian, utopian socialism, scientific, scientific socialism, communism, and anarchism. So all of this, all of these isms with the goal of social revolution 
and read and uh, and they all have an underlying material event. So in almost every country during the 19th century, the Catholic, uh, Catholicism lost the protection of the state. They often became adversary to the church. And in 1870, the Pope's temporal power came to an end with the Italian conquest of the papal states and the unification of Italy. That's why the church is just now confined to the Vatican. But at the same time, the church was able to take advantage of this crisis to strengthen the union of all Catholics around the Holy See and to free itself from the intrusions by state authorities in the internal government of the church. So this culminated in the declaration of the dogma of papal infallibility in world in 1870 by the Vatican Council I, which took place during the pontificate of Pius IX. So during this century, the church was blessed with a great missionary expansion in Africa and Asia. The foundation of many women's congregations of active life and the organization of a widespread lay apostolate. In the 20th century, the church was confronted by many challenges. Pius X was forced to counteract modernist theological tendencies within the church. Benedict XV faced the calamity of World War I. He maintained a policy of impartiality towards the contending parties and organized a humanitarian effort on behalf of war prisoners and the population suffering from the conflict. And then, Pius XI opposed various forms of total, totalitarianism that persecuted the church more or less openly during his pontificate. So we have the communism in the Soviet Union wow. and in Spain, and then National Socialism or Nazi, the Nazis in Germany, fascism in Italy, and masonry in Mexico. So all of these various forms of totalitarianism, Pope Pius XI opposed. Pope Pius XI also fostered the vocation of native priests and bishops in the missionary territories of Africa and Asia. So this effort, continued by his successor, Pope Pius XII, enabled the church to show its solidarity with peoples undergoing the colonization rather than appearing as a foreigner. Pius XII had to face the terrible trial of the Second World War, during which he acted in a variety of ways to save as many Jews as he could from Nazi persecution. So according to some people's calculations, the church saved around 800,000 Jewish lives 
However, he was very pragmatic and very realistic, and he did not consider it opportune to issue a public condemnation, since this would only have worsened the grave situation of Catholics who were also being persecuted in various territories occupied by the Germans. Such a denunciation by the Pope, moreover, would have made it all but impossible for him to intervene successfully on behalf of the Jews. So many prominent Jews after the war publicly acknowledged the great merit of this, of this Pope's help for their people. So there have been questions and contro controversy why the church did not publicly speak out, uh, speak out in support of the Jews. So these are some of the reasons why Pope Pius XII might have decided uh, to do otherwise. Uh, Pope John XXIII convoked the Second Vatican Council, and this was closed by Pope, Pope Paul VI. So the Second Vatican Council opened up a new pastoral era in the church by stressing the universal call to holiness, the importance of ecumenical effort, the positive aspects of modernity, and the broadening of dialogue with other religions. However, during the years following the Council, the Church suffered a profound internal crisis, both doctrinal and disciplinary. During this time, we saw priests giving up, their, giving up on their vocation, uh, asking the Holy Father in the hundreds no, to, to end their, their vocation as priests. And there were very many nuns as well and many congregations which had to close because they had run out of people. We were really in a profound crisis during this period. So after Pope Paul VI, we have Pope John Paul I. And then after a few months, maybe 60 days or 90 days, he passed away and we have Pope John Paul II. So he was very young, one of the youngest, who assumed the papacy. He was in his late 50s. And the long pontificate of John Paul II helped to counteract this crisis. He was a pope with an extraordinary personality who raised the Holy See to a level of popularity and prestige unknown before, both inside and outside the Catholic Church. Then after Pope John Paul II, we have Pope Benedict. And then we have now, right now, we have Pope Francis. So the church in history, we have to see the divine and human in everything that happened to the church throughout these past 2,000 years. That during all this time, we see the unity of the church in time and space, we are still around after 2,021 years. And then we see still the missionary fervor of the church in all times and places, really all times, because they started in Jerusalem, in the Middle East, in what is now Israel, and it spread throughout, you know, went to 
from a religion of the of slaves, it became the religion of of their masters and their king. And up to now, we have uh, missionaries in Africa and in Asia bringing the good news of our Lord. And Pope John John Paul II also has called on on us to re-evangelize Europe. And we see throughout history the church producing fruits of sanctity in people, in her, in her people, really in every generation. We see this very clearly that the church has been able to recuperate after suffering great crisis uh, throughout its history and to come out stronger and better because of it. <laughs>